Welcome to the Holistic Business Podcast, where healers, makers, mystics, and other weirdos who don't quite fit the mold learn how to grow businesses that sustain them and their communities without working all the damn time or feeling like they're selling out. I'm your host, Sarah M. Chapel, and as the founder of the Holistic Business Academy, I've helped thousands of small business owners just like you to grow supportive, holistic businesses. Now, it's your turn. I have spent, if I'm honest, an ungodly amount of time on project management and organization for a business the size of mine. <laughs> Sometimes I have, I must confess, probably done this to the detriment of growth. In the last year or so, I got really obsessed with all of our standard operating procedures and our workflows and our systems, making sure that it was really all extremely like excellent, frankly. Um, but I remain convinced, even if I did that at the detriment of fast growth, that it's one of our company's superpowers and is the very thing that has allowed us to grow sustainably while crafting a culture of compassion and care alongside effective productivity. Peek under the hood of my business, and while it's far from perfect and never done, <laughs> we can effectively onboard people in weeks rather than months, cover for people when they are off from work, support hundreds and hundreds of customers, and get a remarkable amount done in only four days a week. That's right. As of this recording, we are actually testing a four-day work week, and it is going so great. So what this is all about really is our project management systems, is how we organize the things that we do inside of the business, our operations, if you will. And the reality is that project management and project management systems, they're a little bit of a tricky subject. Most of the thinking about project management and, of course, organization and operations comes from corporations and their consultants trickling down through MBA programs to books and blog posts that are recommended to small business owners like you and me, right? Project management largely emerges from engineering and, not surprisingly, military and defense work, okay? The idea of project management stems then from this really pretty critical assumptions. It's the need or the goal really to allocate and maximize resources, including time and humans. Okay. Human resources, one of the worst terms ever. So we want to be aware of this moving forward because it's easy to read about product management strategies and operations and mimic this productivity maximization under the guise of helpful tools like time blocking, time estimates, standard operating procedures, which I love to be clear and more. So I'm having to rein it in on this episode because I went way down the rabbit hole, but I think it would be helpful for us to share a little bit about where modern project management comes from and how that might be influencing the operations that you're running today. So the history of project management really kicks off after the Industrial Revolution, not surprising, as folks try to figure out how to more efficiently manufacture goods. Prior to this, there had, of course, been coordinated projects, especially architecture like Hello Cathedrals, which were also, to be clear, not known for their efficient construction. Um, but the implementation of a system of management appears to have been a new thing in the early 20th century. The grandfathers of what we now call project management are most likely Henry Ford, creator of the assembly line, or credited as such, and Frederick W. Taylor, who created a system called scientific management, um, which, is, which is also referred to often as Taylorism. So I find Taylor very interesting because his thesis so clearly shows the problems that come up when we view humans as resources and highlights the ways that we are still applying that today, even in small business. In fact, the early criticisms of his methodology was just that, right? A lack of consideration for people as human beings. 
So according to the Scientific Management Wikipedia page, great rabbit hole to fall down if you want, Taylor attempted to create data-driven empirical approaches to manufacturing and management in order to maximize efficiency, right? This key traditional project management goal. Taylor researched everything from physical movements to mental strain, and also built on his observation that workers, even the most talented, um, who perform repetitive tasks, tend to work as slowly as they can without getting in trouble. It's interesting, right? The extreme specialization of assembly line workers and even that of more skilled laborers appeared to actually decrease productivity. And look, to me, this is obvious, right? It's boring and repetitive. It causes mental and physical strain. He went so far to say that workplaces were potentially set up inefficiently on purpose because the workers were focused on their own well-being, not the efficiency of the company. Taylor's solution was, in addition to recommending breaks, which to be fair is good, to incentivize speed by paying people more if they produce more. Mm, we're familiar with that, right? Bonus structures and that kind of work incentives, they obviously continue today, um, but Taylor was one of the first people to come up with this. And there is something insidious here. Taylor essentially views workers as lazy and conflates their lack of motivation with self-interest, right? He seems to view the interest of the company and the interest of the worker as inherently being at odds, and that the only way to overcome that is through a somewhat punitive financial arrangement that rewards speed and nothing else, basically, <laughs> okay? Um, and there were later people who started to layer in more about the quality of the work as well, but Taylor's Taylor's the guy over there with like the, the timer, seeing how fast you can do the thing, and if you don't do it fast enough, you don't get paid, okay? And of course, while Taylor did suggest paying people to motivate them, um, many companies use the same methodology and like they don't pay them, right? They instead pocket the increase in productivity as profit or C-suite bonuses. And if this sounds like some companies you know, <coughs> Amazon, you're following this thread across the century. So good work, right? Taylor was, of course, onto some useful stuff like documenting information so it can be shared amongst workers. This is what we might call an SOP now, a standard operating procedure which can, it's worth noting, especially in this context, have a consequence of making it easier to replace workers, further reducing job stability. I think it's important to note that, that really great systems actually create a level of fungibility with workers that I think any holistic business owner needs to be conscious of and yeah, wary of. For our nerds out there, by the way, apparently Peter Drucker, who coined the term knowledge work, and if you're a Cal Newport fan at all, you'll know all about that. He believed that Taylor was the creator of knowledge management because of this, because of this, um, uh, this desire to uh, notate and, and collate the information required to do a particular job. Um, but as critics at the time, like Lenin, yes, that Lenin, uh, and trade unions pointed out, this obsession with optimization and figuring out the best way to do something, the best, most efficient way to do it, essentially turned workers into machines in the eyes of their employers uh, that would be exploited until they broke. Um, and yeah, we're going to go there. This sounds like Marx's, some of his alienation work, right? To us, to me, <laughs> right? This idea of being alienated from what you're producing, from the act of production itself, that is this level of dehumanization that is baked into project management, right? This antagonism too between worker and employer is also codified in the very foundations of project management. Um, so Taylor starts this conversation about what would become project management with efficiency as a big focus and a kind of carrot stick approach to motivation. And like it worked, okay? It, it became more and more adopted. And in following years, further development of management principles would occur. I am not going to do the play-by-play -play as much as I would like, but 
go forth, research on your own. Or if y'all like this episode, let me know and I will do some more on this because I find it fascinating. The development of these management principles greatly came through military projects, right? Those are places where we're seeing massive coordination at scale and also as part of colonial infrastructure projects, which I thought was interesting and wasn't something I knew or had made a connection about. That's according to uh, Gilles Jarrell, who is the author of a paper titled A History of Project Management Models from Pre-Models to the Standard Models, published in the International Journal of Project Management. Yes, there is an International Journal of Project Management. So today, we see this Taylorism taken to an extreme in things like employer surveillance, okay, especially of employee computers. Facebook and other companies rather famously track how long an employee has their mouse on a particular part of the screen, for example. Um, this is sometimes excused as a security measure, and this is how Facebook, for example, knows when employees are abusing access to private data, like being able to track computer activity is one of their security measures, but it also allows them to see what people are doing, right, and how much time they're wasting and how long it's taking them to do things, especially during the pandemic with the big move for a lot of people who had formerly been in office to work remotely, we're seeing this rise of surveillance as a form of management um, and as a form of project management um, really become more and more popular. And what's interesting is you can actually do this in most project management software to some extent, okay? Um, even my beloved ClickUp <laughs> falls prey to this with features that let you see how long someone has had a task open for um, or when they were online and what tasks they opened while they were online. These are optional features, which I don't use, but they're there. And I wanted to tell you really quickly what happened when I set up my ClickUp, I think I tried everything and I love to test. I'm a big software tester. I love creating new systems. I love trying things. So I tried these features. I think initially in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to try everything. And the, um, the online feature was largely kind of pitched as a way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in your company and just like see when people are working. At that time, we were, everyone else who worked was part-time. And what would happen was I started because it was there. I started looking at when people were working, right? Because we didn't really have people clocking in or clocking out. Or if something wasn't done, I would go and I would see, well, have they even come to click up, right? That task is overdue. Why hasn't it happened? What happened was instead of actually talking to people and asking them what had happened, and we'll talk about how my team uses um, ClickUp in particular as a communication tool a little bit later, I was defaulting to the surveillance right? I was collecting this third-party data that, of course, had no nuance and no color to it, didn't tell me what had actually happened. And it created an immense amount of anxiety and it decreased my ability to trust my team, right? Not for any reason, right? But because it was available and because I was accessing it, it created a level, like a low-level paranoia, <laughs> to be completely honest. And I think that's just interesting to note because we can, we kind of, yes, lightning quickly traced that through the history, right? If what we're looking at is like a, a culture that comes from timing, how long it takes for people to put a widget on a widget, right? And seeing they can do that faster and faster. This is a culture of management, project management and operations that is rooted in surveillance, that is rooted in, I mean, I think the, the nicer term than surveillance is often micromanagement, not a good thing, but doesn't sound as scary as surveillance. But that's what this is, right? We are managers. And for our purposes, if you are a small business owner, even if you don't call yourself a manager, if you have anyone you're working with, you're managing them at this point, because you probably don't have managers on your team. That means that you are essentially being encouraged to surveil 
your team members. This is at a cost, at a cost of actual connection and communication. So we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, so the purpose of this lightning fast overview was to lay the scene, okay? The systems that we're using in our businesses are designed based on a disrespect for and a distrust of workers, right? A desire for extreme productivity and of course, a focus on profit above all else. So now that we have a foundation, let's talk about your project management system and define some terms. There are two different kinds of activities that we might be managing within a project management system, projects and workflows. Um, And both of those are made up of tasks, okay? A project is a singular or rarely reoccurring activity that has a defined start and end with a specific goal or outcome target, okay? It is self-contained. A workflow, um, this is a term I use, if you use a different term for this, I don't know, it's just the one that I say all the time, um, is a recurring activity that has a consistent process across recurrences, okay? So while a specific occurrence can be completed, the workflow continues on and does not have an end date unless the workflow is modified or depreciated. Um, A task, all right, is an atomized piece of work that can be part of a process or a workflow or a project, all right? This is the most specific level. And like, yes, I know there are subtasks, but for our purposes, let's keep it simple. Uh, And it has a binary yes, no, complete, incomplete state, right? It's either done or it's not done. So while these definitions are guidelines, I know they can be a little bit muddy. You know, so for example, a launch of a product or a course is definitely a project. It has a definite start and a definite end date, and it's rarely recurring, right? You're probably not launching something new every day. I hope not, please. Um, and it has a process like a workflow does because a launch does recur. Or even if you're launching a different offer or product, you'll likely still wanna follow your same launch strategy and modify it for that product. So with some basic terminology, um, just to, so we're, we're using the same words. Uh, let's take a look at how we can do this project management and this kind of systemization of that a little bit differently. So as I shared, right, traditional project management is largely rooted in the desire to control uh, and to maximize productivity. And this word maximize, I fucking hate it. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> While elements of this can be true in a holistic business, right, we do want to have guardrails on our business to ensure consistency. And of course, we want to get shit done, Uh, Control and maximization are not really part of a holistic business approach. So if we're looking at project management and a project management system, and again, we can also extrapolate this out, like I've been saying to our larger operations system in general, what is part of a holistic business approach? Ease. Okay. So I view project management as an ease increaser. (laughs) When done properly, a project management system and methodology should make it easier to get shit done. It should reduce friction and stress. And when you do have employees or other collaborators, it should eliminate time-sucking meetings, check-ins, and micromanagement, all right? This, the whole point of this is making it easier to do things. It is not about maximizing productivity, though often that is a byproduct of ease. Um, It's not about um, forcing people to do more and more and more though often people can accomplish more as a byproduct of ease. If we have ease as the focus, substitute your word, uh, calm, holistic, chill, whatever, (laughs) we can do a lot, okay? So project management can achieve that goal of ease in a few ways. First, by setting expectations. Second, by acting as a form of communication. And third, by prioritizing actions. So let's break these down a bit. Setting expectations is really key. A holistic project management system operates largely by setting expectations. This is key both for yourself 
and for our team members. Um, if we don't know what we're supposed to do, then we can't be held accountable to it. It's really that simple. So much of bad management comes down to people not being clear on what they're supposed to do. And then somebody else being upset that they didn't do the thing, right? <laughs> Setting expectations in project management is going to depend largely on your personal needs and the needs of anyone you're working with. So I have a few questions you can ask yourself. First of all, how do you approach due dates? <laughs> I feel like every time I start to talk about project management, people get so fucking stressed about due dates. So guess what? You get to decide how you want to do them. Do you like a window or a fixed time? If that fixed due date gets you really stressed, um, maybe some other people actually need it in order to have time pressure to complete a task. Um, that's a whole other thing, but we do, there are studies showing that external deadlines are extremely motivating. Um, at Team HBA, we actually use both. All right. Something that has a must be done by gets a due date. Simple. Okay. Tasks that have more flexibility, which are often ongoing, like low grade projects, things like updating links on the website, adjusting branding in our emails, uh, things that have a discrete conclusion, but are time variable and low priority. We often put start and end dates in the project management software we use ClickUp. A task will show up on a person's homepage. You have like your own task feed. It is so awesome. Um, as long as they are assigned to it and it has a date. And if it has a start date and an end date, then that task will show up every day of that window. Um, finally, if something is just not urgent, but we want to make sure that someone sees it or remembers to review it, as a team, what we do is we put a due date on it just so it doesn't get lost. And then we just put a note in the task that says, this date is just so you see it. <laughs> okay. I know some folks hate due dates entirely using a more loose structure of prioritization or certain tasks they want to make progress on in a given week. If that works for you and it works for you, fucking great. There are definitely activities that don't lend themselves to due dates. But once you start hiring or working with contractors, due dates become fairly critical to ensure that everyone has what they need to get their job done. I personally feel that if there isn't a due date, it's not going to happen. And if I can't set a due date for it, then it's probably not an actual priority for me or the business and should be put in the slush pile to be revisited at a later date. That's my take. Okay. This actually helps to reduce stress as well. If you have a lot of things on your to-do list that actually can't be assigned to getting done, it's not really a to-do list. It's an idea list, which is awesome, but you're probably stressing yourself out looking at a bunch of ideas instead of a bunch of tasks. So second question we want to ask is how fleshed out do you like your projects and tasks? I am always going to advocate for the most detailed version of our project or task as possible without unduly delaying the start of the project or asking for an excessive amount of kind of non-productive labor from our team. I'm sure that the detail we have for some of our projects and routine tasks in particular will seem like overkill to others, but bear with me. When every part of a project or task is delineated, clarified, and assigned to a person uh, and a date, the cognitive effort required to actually complete the action is greatly reduced. Um, this is actually one of my personal primary goals in project management is to reduce cognitive load. And one of the things I just want to mention real quick, there are a lot of different project management methodologies at present. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of them, but what I often find is that people are extremely rigid. So there's people who like to do things like linearly, which is like kind of like a waterfall style method. This happens and this happens and this happens. And then there's kind of the iterative, iter iterative, excuse me, uh, method, which is much more kind of circular and there's inputs and outputs at all times. Often the people who like the iterative method are kind of anti-detail in projects. I don't think that those things have to be, um, are, are in conflict. You can always make changes and we'll talk about that later. 
This is really more of a mindset in terms of why it's worth reducing cognitive load by having clarity in your tasks. So there are several kinds of work in a small business. In organizing project management, we're looking at creative work, analytic work, and routine work. And depending on who you are and where you thrive, these different kinds of work will hit you differently. But regardless, they all need to be managed differently as well, right? Creative work is often more freeform. It needs space to be completed, um, but it also benefits from a deadline to ensure that action is taken, right? I, I didn't really pull in Cal Newport's work today, but I do think that if you want to get into kind of the management of knowledge work and creative work, he's a really good resource. Um, and here in creative work, uh, when possible, the level of clarity about a given project or task is really about defining what completion is. Is it a word count? Is it a specific asset? Um, you know, what, what will you know? It, it, how will you know it's done, right? For analytic work, the metric can be more simple. Often analysis has a more binary yes, no result that we can say, did we do it or not? Um, did we look at the data? <laughs> did we not? <laughs> did we check the stats? Did we not? Um, routine tasks should be the most simple, right? What needs to happen to complete the routine? Regardless of the kind of activity, we want to see how the project management system can clearly define what it is and how we'll know when it's been complete. Um, and we don't want to use our beautiful brains to remember it, right? This is the real thing that I think that project management applied in the holistic business context can bring to the table that is largely missed by um, this kind of more extractive um, historical approach to project management. By clearly stating the task and its outcome um, inside a project management system, we can take that information out of our working memory and free up, free up the bandwidth for the task itself, okay? A simple example of this is that for all of our paid communities, our email inbox, and our social media accounts, the team members responsible for responding to emails, questions, DMs, etc., have a task that recurs every workday with the metric for that activity. Okay, so for um, the inbox and social media messages, for example, those are, we have an inbox zero metric. By the end of the workday, everything has been responded to or triaged. That means that the people who need to handle it have been uh, notified or we've, we've escalated the issue. Uh, do we need this as a task if we do it every day? I mean, maybe not, right? You probably have routine tasks that you just do on autopilot. But have you ever forgotten a routine task when you're busy or feel like it was bugging you because you wanted to make sure you didn't forget? That's what we're trying to avoid. It sets clear expectations about the activity, like the workday is not done until that task is complete, and it removes the activity from working memory, freeing up the space to address more complex tasks because we can be confident that our project management system will remind us of the routine. Honestly, it's the routine tasks that eat up the most time if we don't outsource the remembering to the system because they just stay in that working memory and you know it's something you're supposed to do. This can, and I, I want to be clear, sometimes we'll make these choices in the way that we're discussing and end up with similar results to what you might see in a more Taylorism kind of method, right? It's like, oh, well, clearly outlying the minutia of tasks, that sounds kind of like treating people like machines. But our starting point, if it is this reducing cognitive load to free up our brains for the more creative work, actually does lead to a different result, even if it feels similar because there's like multiple tasks of like kind of basic stuff because the goal isn't for everything you do to be completely delineated and organized. The goal is to not have to remember what you're supposed to do. So your brain can be free to do the work that you're here to do. And all of you listening, even if you make physical products, 
um, do some level of knowledge work. You're doing some level of creative work because you run a business. This is how we create the room in your brain to do that work while still getting those daily, weekly, monthly tasks done. So the final question I have for you here to think about is what is your definition of done? I just referred to this, but it's helpful to pull it out as its own question. For every project or task, we need to know how we'll know that we did the thing. <laughs> this sounds simple, but I often see my clients create tasks or goals like work on social media or do market research. These are tricky because they sound good and important and like they're a big deal. <laughs> but how will you know when you worked on social media or did market research? That could be anything from scrolling through Instagram to creating an Airtable database of other folks in your area of expertise and analyzing their messaging and their offers and blah, 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 right? Uh, those are, in a word, they're vague, right? Vagueness in activities is another way that we increase the cognitive load of a task. Your brain is pretty amazing, and if it knows where it needs to go, it can usually get you there. If it doesn't, you will result to defaulting in whatever is like the most well-worn pathway, right? You will do the thing that you would normally do. So maybe you'll think about it all day and never take action and consider that doing. I do that, okay? Or maybe you'll do the smallest amount of work that could possibly fit the brief. I also do this, right? I would sometimes will just like open up Instagram and say, cool, I worked on social media, bye, <laughs> right? You're doing yourself and your team no favors by being vague. It is exhausting trying to take action towards an undefined outcome. Now, before you start fighting me, right, there is, of course, an exception, which is when we need to take action towards an undefined outcome. Visioning for your business, dreaming up new ideas, searching for the right way to communicate something, and a lot of the high-level creative work that founders have to do often is undefined. We won't know where we're going until it clicks, right? You know that moment? Oh, it's like, like, like manna from, from the gods, okay? But this is all the more reason we need to define what we can define. So the undefinable tasks have more breathing room for exploration, while tasks that can be outcome specific are outcome specific. So and here's a hint to define even the undefinable in a undefinable tasks, okay? Set a time frame. Do you need to do big visioning work about the future of your business? Pick a day for it or an hour or even five minutes. That time frame then becomes the definition of done, helping you to clearly set expectations for yourself or for your team. Spend an hour daydreaming about your new offer is actually something you can complete where think about new offer can mean, well, anything. So one of the key ways of how we view a project management system is that it's actually a form of communication. The system itself, what we put in it, what we check off, what we prioritize, what dates are on a task, all of that are forms of communication. We have a little internal guideline um, in our company that says if it's not in ClickUp, it didn't happen. <laughs> this actually lets us to work fully remotely with very little synchronous communication and with respect for each other's capacity because as a team, we agree to use this tool as the repository of knowledge and action. This also makes a very important thing easier, seeking consent. Do you think Taylor let workers say what they thought of moving faster and faster? I mean, I seriously fucking doubt it, right? While in a traditional business structure, there will be things that are delegated and just have to get done, we can approach delegation through consent and communication as well, right? Like literally just asking people if they have the bandwidth to do something. And this includes asking yourself. If the reason for the activity is clear and you work with people you trust, which is something that can be built by, oh, I don't know, treating folks like humans instead of machines, then consent leads to amazing results. 
And when your system is fully loaded, it contains all the information and is properly communicating that information, then you often, one, already know the answer before you ask, which means you can avoid putting pressure on someone who is already at capacity, or two, someone can easily point to the system to show what they're working on so there is no conflict about whether or not they have the time. This is a small example, but it's a very simple way that communication happens without having to have a meeting or put someone on the spot with a request, okay? It creates a neutral-ish third-party platform that lets everyone in the company know what's going on. It's worth noting here that this is true for our team too. My work is all in ClickUp, right? They can see my task for the day. They can see what I've completed. If I'm late, I follow our communication guidelines too. Communication plus ease is a huge winner. So finally, your project management system should facilitate prioritizing actions. If the communication is clear, then any given team member should always know the next thing to focus on. This makes it easy to complete tasks rather than trying to figure out what to do next. And when your system is working effectively, it also lets you know when you're done. Check it off, complete, close the computer, goodbye, okay? <laughs> like this is why ease becomes the, the target in our project management system rather than maximizing productivity. If we get it done, we are done. That creates more breathing room, more space, more work-life balance, whatever you wanna call that. And it actually lets people start to develop a healthier relationship to work, have the bandwidth to show up when they're at work and then fully leave, fully check out. This is a rant for another day, but I think it's largely believed that you can't run a, a kind of service business like we do without being online all the time at this point, that the expectations of people are just so high. People expect Amazon level response time, that kind of stuff. We've been working really hard to dismantle that for us as a team, kind of internally, and of course, how we, we work with our clients and our customers. But this is one of the reasons we're able to do it because ease when it comes to team management and productivity is my guiding light. That means that we don't just put more work on our plates just because we have time, right? There are times when we're busy, when there's actual things that need to happen, um, so by having this really clear boundary where it's like, if, if the system is effective, we know when we're done for the day, you've completed your tasks. Like if you finish your work, like you're done, go home when well, you're already home, but you know what I mean? So it's also important to remember that nothing with your project management system is set in stone. All right. And to call back to Taylorism again, this kind of scientific model that we often see is layering on so much data tracking and so much controlling factors that you actually start to lose the ability to be agile. And that is not actually a reference to agile project management, though that is a project management methodology, okay? Your project is not the 10 commandments carved into tablets by God and carried down from Mount Sinai, okay? A holistic approach to project management will necessarily employ context. And that context may indicate a need for priorities and deadlines to change. It's an easy fallacy to absorb that if deadlines change, then nothing will get done. For you and for the people you work with, I want us to just put this out there, right? This approach is paternalistic and it assumes, again, like we talked about earlier, that your employees, contractors, and yourself are untrustworthy and must be forced into action. People management is another episode in itself, but project management should not be punitive. It is a tool to make it easier to do work effectively. It is not a cudgel. So we only scratched the surface of this episode today but you should now have a better sense of the foundations of project management to be aware of and how we can utilize these tools towards a different end. 
Ultimately, it's a simple question. How do you want to run your business on fear and exploitation and assuming that you and your employees are incompetent or on open communication, shared accountability, and ease? You get to decide. Question your systems, explore their assumptions, and then, of course, take action. Thanks for tuning in to the Holistic Business Podcast. Learn more about growing your holistic business by visiting us at holisticbusinessacademy.com. We'll see you next time.